you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's someone at that back table there. Feel free to grab one or um, someone will get you one. Um, but we're in Luke chapter 12. And we're just going to be in a few verses this morning. Luke chapter 12 verses 49 through 53. But I think there's plenty for us to, to chew on. Um, there's lots of different ways that, lots of different things that divide people, aren't there? There's, there's, there's just, there can be a lot of division. There can be frivolous division. There can just be kind of silly things that, that divide us. You know, what you like or what you don't like. Where, um, I, I don't know why I keep thinking about it, just because I like the movie, but the movie What About Bob? Bob says there's two kinds of people in this world. Those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a way to divide people, right? So that's a silly kind of division. Then there's very serious division. We can think about um, some of the most serious division going on in our world with, with the issues going on in the Middle East with Israel and Palestine and all of that, and, I mean, that erupts into war. And so there's division that, that's, that's silly and frivolous, and then there's division that's monumental. And we want, kind of want to ask the question, well, Jesus, what do you think about division? Whose side are you on with when, when things are when people are divided? What, what's that? What's, what do you think about that? And, and what's shocking about our passage today is it, it just seems strange that in verse 51 of Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, "Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division." Which sounds like the exact opposite thing that Jesus would say. What in the world is is he talking about here? This is a difficult passage, and that's kind of what I want to open up with, uh, to, to say, let's, let's engage with God's Word. I have a book called Hard Sayings of Jesus by a guy named F.F. F. Bruce. There are three chapters devoted to this section, verses 49 through 53, because all of these verses are a little bit difficult to understand. What in the world is Jesus talking about? But I think what really he's saying is that, Jesus brings division into our lives, or to say it another way, to follow Jesus is to invite division into our lives. Our two main points are just going to be these. Judgment is coming. Division is inevitable. <laughs> I think that's what Jesus is saying. Judgment is coming, and division is inevitable. And so I just want to read it right away, and then we're going to dive in here and try to understand what Jesus is talking about. So Luke 12, verse 49. I came to cast fire on earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Wow. Judgment is coming. Division is inevitable. The first part there, let's think about this. Judgment is coming. Just those first two verses, 49 and 50. Uh, there's this idea of Jesus anticipating something. We're getting a, a picture into the heart of what does Jesus desire? What does, what does Jesus want? What is He waiting for? I did a lot of waiting yesterday. Some of us went to Holiday World and we stood in lines and we waited. Why? Well, we, we wanted to go on something. We were excited. There was something that we were looking forward to, this roller coaster or, or some giant water slide. And so there was this, this excitement about it. 
For some of us, I won't mention any names, there was also some fear and some, some trepidation and they kind of got forced to go on that ride. They didn't really want to, but they had to do it. And so there was this mixture of, of excitement and, and, and fear and a little bit of anxiety about this whole thing. I don't know if I really want to put myself on this water slide. I don't know if I want to go down that huge hill. And there's almost a sense of that here with Jesus. You see what he's saying here. He says, we're going to get to what is the fire, what is the baptism, but kind of look at Jesus' response. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. There's this, I want it to happen now. This is kind of this anticipation. I want the fire to come now. Interesting, what's Jesus talking about? And then also, in verse 50, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Speaking of this baptism, there's also some... Some fear, some anxiety in the heart of Christ about this baptism is coming and I, I want it to come, but I'm also just not really sure about what this whole thing means. So this anticipation and trepidation. and what, So what is this fire, right? I came to cast fire on the earth. Really meaning I came to throw down fire on the earth. The fire in, in Scripture it has a lot of different things that it means. Some people say that it means um, division. So verses 51 through 53 talk about division and Jesus saying, I'm going to cast this division on the earth and that's, that's what I'm desiring, the fire of division. Fire often speaks of, of coming judgment, right? We think about the judgment of God coming um, in fire. In the New Testament, fire actually sometimes represents the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? So the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at, at Pentecost. So, so what, is, what, what does this mean? I really don't know. <laughs> if I'm totally honest, I'm, I'm going to give you my best guess, but um, I, I think we need to wrestle with it a little bit. I think in some sense, and I, I'm not the only person that thinks this, so hopefully that gives me some credence, that it, that it may be a combination of all of those things. And rather that in general what it is, is that Jesus desires the fire of purification. The fire of, 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 of things being set right. So this fire that comes in judgment, it's, it's a judgment that comes, but it's a judgment that, that purifies. So when Christ returns, what's he doing? He's setting everything right. The world is, is messed up, it's twisted, there's sin and there's, there's, there's pain and there's suffering. And when the judgment comes, when Jesus comes, things are made right through judgment. Sin is, is cast out of the world. When the Spirit comes, doesn't the Spirit come as, as the Old Testament says, as a, like a refiner's fire, that, that it comes and it pures out the, the sin in us? Because the Spirit is a Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit rids us from sin. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, I desire fire. I desire this, this judgment of sin. I desire the, the exit of sin from the world. And I wish it happened right now. But we can think about Jesus interacting with people in the world, and sometimes he gets, he, he's, he's visibly frustrated with sin. In, in John chapter 11, when Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb, he, he weeps at the death of his friend, but it also, the word there means that he is just, in a sense, angry at the presence of death in the world, and he desires for it to be gone. He wants it to be rid, to, to be out of this world. And so I think in part that that's what Jesus is talking about here, this fire. It has to be some kind of mention of judgment. Isn't that what we've been talking about a lot in Luke chapter 12 is, is the coming of Christ? But it's this coming of, of purification. And, and he says, I wish that that would happen now. Then he talks in verse 50 of a baptism. I have a baptism to be baptized with. 
Wasn't Jesus already baptized? Didn't we read about that, right? Jesus was baptized earlier on um, in, in Luke. Um, it, we see it in, in Luke chapter um, 4. Jesus is baptized. And, and John kind of makes a big deal out of that. Jesus, you should not be baptized. But I, I, I should not baptize you. You should be baptizing me. But he says that this baptism signifies his willingness to submit to the Father's will in all things. And here again, he is, he's constrained. He's, he's in distress about what's going to happen because he's going to be baptized. And it's not this baptism of, of being dunked in the water, but it's actually speaking of his death. I mean, Mark chapter 10, the reason I can, I can say that with, with confidence is in Mark chapter 10, we see James and John come to Jesus and um, they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, when, you're, when you come in your kingdom, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left hand. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you are talking about. And then he asks them this question, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. He's speaking of the cup of his death and of the baptism of his death, the cup of God's wrath, of him taking the punishment of God through his, through his death. He says, can you be baptized with that? Can you take that? And so here he's talking, I have to be baptized. I, my, my death is coming. I know that. Isn't that interesting that the cross is the reason that Jesus came to die? And he, he in a sense, he, he knows it. It's not an accident. It's not an afterthought. It's something that's on his mind constantly. So throughout his ministry, Jesus knows this is coming. There's a baptism that I'm going to have to go through again. Maybe even thinking about those rides that we're on. We're standing there and it's getting closer and closer. I'm going to have to go through this. And Jesus knows that it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And he's in distress until it's accomplished. So these verses are interesting, aren't they? I mean, it's it's just this this picture of who Jesus is, and it doesn't really fit necessarily with how maybe we think about Jesus. He's, I desire this fire to come. I wish that it had already happened. I want there to be purity in this world. I want things to be set right. I have to go through this baptism, and there's a sense in which that is a fire of judgment as well, isn't that? Because Jesus is going to take the punishment for sin upon Himself on the cross, and so He wants that to happen, and that He also at the same time He's scared. He's filled with anxiety about this. We see it in the garden. I wish that this cup would pass from me. I wish I didn't have to do this. And yet, he submits to the will of the Father. Judgment is coming. These are hard verses, but I think that kind of summarizes the idea, and hopefully that, that makes sense. And I think it really pushes in to, to the main idea of the passage, and it's this, that division is inevitable. So this judgment is coming, and, and it's the core of who Jesus is. And that, that picture of purifying judgment of a sacrificial death causes division. So here's the question that Jesus, Jesus asks, right, in verse 51. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? If I just, you just walked down the street and you said, do you think that Jesus came to bring peace on earth? What do you think most people would say? Well, I'd say, yeah, I, I do think that he came to bring peace on earth. And, and there is a sense in which, yeah, he did. You, what, what did the angels say at the beginning of Luke? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace with men on whom his favor dwells. So in what ways has God, ha, has Jesus brought peace? 
Well, there's one sense he's brought peace with God, right? And that's what that peace is talking about, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men on whom his favor rests, that, that God is, is, has favor, has, has love for his people. We saw this earlier in Luke as well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah, speaking about who Jesus was, he's the one that would guide us into peace. And the greatest need that we all have is peace with God. That God is angry with us because of our sin, that we have sinned against Him, we have rebelled against Him. And so He rightfully is judging us for our sin. But Jesus has come to bring peace, to take the penalty for our sin and to die in our place. This is what uh, Romans 5 says about that. Romans 5 in, in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained, by, we, a, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So do you think I came to bring peace? Yes, Jesus, we do. Because you told us you came to bring peace with God. And then flowing from that peace with God, we as Christians, there's different expressions of peace that Jesus brings into our lives. We have peace with with fellow Christians. We have peace with one another. That's that passage that Mark read from Ephesians chapter 2. That there's peace, and it's speaking specifically of peace between Jew and Gentile. I always think it's strange if you're not a part of of church and someone stands up to read the scripture reading and they start talking about circumcision, you're like, what in the world is this about, right? But it's talking there about this division between those who were Jewish and who were circumcised and those who were Greeks and were not. And that was a big deal. And, and, And what Paul is saying is that Jesus has come and he's broken down the wall of division that existed between Jew and Gentile. He has made peace because they were at war with one another. And we as the people of God from all different walks of life, God has made peace through the blood of His cross. If we are are Christians, then we are made family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever else might divide us, Jesus unites us and makes peace between us. There's peace in this place because of what Christ has done. So do you think I came to bring peace? Yes, Jesus. You made peace with God and now we can have peace with, with one another. Not only that, but Jesus calls us to have peace with all people. Not just with fellow Christians, but peace with all people. What is one of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. Because peacemaking reflects the heart of God. That's who God is. He's the one who has come to make peace. And so if we are peacemakers, then we look like our Father. We look like God. He's the greatest peacemaker. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And Romans twelve eighteen says, as much as it is possible with you, as, as, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. So there's a sense in which we as Christians are to be peacemakers. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? Yes, Jesus. You told us to, to do whatever we could to be at peace with all people. You told us to be peacemakers. And not only that... But, but Jesus has said that He's going to give us peace. He's going to give us peace in this world. It's from His own lips in, in John chapter 14. 
Jesus is with his disciples in some of the last teaching before um, he dies. John 14, verse 27, very comforting words to us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So Jesus talks then about how he's going away and how he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm giving you peace in the midst of a world that is against you. He says it later in in John 16, verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So there's peace in a world that is filled with with conflict. Do you think that I came to bring peace? Yes, Jesus, we do. You told us you're giving us peace in the midst of this world. So Jesus has brought peace. He is the one that has made peace with God. If you're in sin, if if you have never turned from sin to Christ, then you are not at peace with God. God is rightfully angry with sin because sin is ultimately always against Him. He is a holy God and we have rebelled against Him. And and as a just God, He must punish sin. But He's a God that has made peace by sending Jesus. Jesus who never sinned. And so when He died on the cross, He didn't die for His own sin. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died as a substitute so that we could be at peace with God. So that God would, would take away that sentence from us. He's nailed it to the cross. He has become our peace is become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so we can have peace with God. And from that flows peace with one another. That we have a fellowship. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love one another. Whatever the divisions might be, for whatever other reasons that we might not be united, Jesus has united us and made peace amongst us. And not that, not only that, just with fellow Christians, but peace with all people. And then peace within a world that is always fighting against those that are God's people. So what's the question Jesus is asking then, right? Because <laughs> we've said we, all I've been saying is that Jesus came to bring peace, and Jesus says, "Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth?" And the answer is, no. I did not come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring division. In Matthew, it says, "I came to bring a sword." That's pretty bold. So what is he asking when he says, "Do you think I came to bring peace?" I think we could say it this way. Do you think that I came to make peace amongst all people? Or maybe this would be a better way to say it. Do you think that the effect of my righteous judgment, that's those first two verses, right? 49 and 50. Do you think that the effect of my righteous judgment and and my coming death is going to be the unification of all people? Do you think that when I deal out this fire and when I go through this baptism that what's going to happen is that everyone will be unified, that the message I'm proclaiming is going to have the effect of harmony amongst everyone in the world? Now, when I ask that question, some people might say, yes, Jesus, that is what we think. We think that you came to make harmony with all people, that that's who you are, that your message is a message of peace, and that all people are to be peacefully united with one another. Jesus has come to make that kind of peace. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No. He says that the, the core message of Christianity, this, this righteous fire and this baptism, his death, is going to cause a division between those who see the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ and those who remain in darkness. It will cause division. Imagine 
lesser divisions. Imagine growing up in a home where you ate meat for every meal. And then you went away to college and you became a vegetarian. And you came home. There's division. <laughs> because the way that you were raised, it's not, you're totally different. You don't fit in. There's, there's division in your family. What if your family was all, I'm just picking one, I'm not saying anything political, all Republicans, and you decided that you're going to start voting Democrat. There's going to be division in your family. There's going to be a lot of, of debates. You should record it and put it on talk radio. You could probably make lots of money somehow. Uh, or, or, or maybe you live in a family that everyone uses Windows and you decide that you're going to get a Mac. There's no compatibility anymore, right? L- literally. So this is kind of, of course, these situations that no one's necessarily right or wrong, though some people might say you're, you're right or wrong on, on one of those things, but this the decision to follow Christ is those that have moved from darkness into light and then now rubbing shoulders with those who are, are still in darkness, and that's going to create division. And what, where does he say it's going to hit? It's going to hit at home. They're, they're, they will be divided, I'm sorry, verse 52, from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will divide divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He said, your, your home life is going to blow up if you start following me, because I just I create division. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to give your life to me, it's, it's going to cause issues if if in your house there's five people that say they see the light of the god there's there's two people in your house that say they see the light of the gospel in christ and there's three that say no you're totally wrong there's going to be division there's going to be strife because jesus isn't something that we just sort of add to our lives and you know it's like a hobby that we have and so everyone kind of says well that's his hobby and he likes it but no it it turns your life upside down, or maybe right side up is the better way to say it. And so there's, there's, there's conflict, and it actually is going to happen at your most interpersonal relationships. You might imagine the situation. He says a father is divided against his son. Uh, imagine the situation, but it's, it's not imaginary at all, really, as the child grows up in a, in a different religious tradition around this world. Let's say this child grows up in the tradition of Islam, and he is a Muslim all his life, and so is the rest of his family. And then one day he, he meets a Christian, and they begin to study the Bible together, and God reveals himself to this person in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's, he becomes a Christian. He puts his faith in Jesus as the only way, truth, and life, and he returns home. And he tells his father, he, he pleads with his father to consider who Jesus is, to, to read the gospel. But his father disowns him, refuses to speak to him. Belief in Jesus for that young man is going to cause division. It's not imaginary. This is an article I read online when Shirzad, who recently graduated from Jacksonville High School, telephoned his Muslim parents in Uzbekistan to tell them of his newfound faith. His father disowned him making it clear that he was no longer welcome in his home and was never again to speak to his mother or his siblings. He withdrew all funds from Sherzad's U.S. bank account, arranged to cancel his son's U.S. sponsorship and college scholarship, and even drew up legal papers declaring Sherzad is no longer his son. That happens. And it happens across the world. Jesus causes division. Maybe you haven't experienced that deep a division, but maybe you did grow up in some sort of religious tradition. And later on, 
You came to see that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now there, there's this kind of division in your family. They, they can't understand why, why you can't just get along. Why, why won't you go to church with us anymore? Why don't you believe what we believe? I, I just, I know you don't understand, but there's, there's division in our home, and, and Jesus causes that kind of division. Maybe that's the situation you're in right now. And there's, there's this thread of division in your family if you would put your trust and your faith in Christ. How could I believe in Jesus, you might say? It'd be like condemning my whole family to hell because they've believed this for so many years and now I'm saying that they're, they're wrong. I think that what Jesus wants us to do is just say, yeah, that's right. There will be division. Let's just acknowledge it for what it is. If you walk down that path, there will be division, and it's going to happen at your most interpersonal, closest relationships. He doesn't say that there's a way around it. He just says, I came, and division is the effect of what happens. I don't think maybe we should think about it in terms of, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, right? That's why he came. And the effect of that, the effect of the gospel breaking into people's lives is that division sort of breaks out within family units. Let's think about this mother and daughter that he talks about here. Maybe another imaginary situation. You know, a mother has big dreams for her daughter. Aspirations of of a career and prestige. Or or maybe just thoughts of, I I look forward to the day that, that my daughter is... Um, is maybe married and has kids and lives in my hometown and you know I get to, to be with my grandkids all the time. And this daughter, maybe at a young age even, just goes to vacation Bible school and, and hears the gospel and is, is transformed by the gospel. And then Jesus gets a hold of her heart and she starts to, to grow in this faith through junior high and through, through high school and she decides, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going I'm to take off. I'm going to share Jesus with the world. That's going to cause division in that family, isn't it? Because that's not the mother's dream for that daughter. The dream was to have a career or to, to be at home. And now she's, she wants to move overseas and, and, and tell others about Christ because Jesus has, has gotten a hold of her. But the, the mom just doesn't get that. Because the mom hasn't been changed by the gospel like her. And so there's, there's division, right? I mean, imagine families... They're just, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is reality, right? I mean, this is what we face in our world. This is what we face in our families. That, that it's, it's this family of, of five, a husband and wife that are devoted to Jesus, and they, God blesses them with three kids, and, and they're raised to know who Christ is. And then, you know, one of them becomes a Christian, and then another just sort of indifferent, and the other one is, is hostile. It's going to create division, isn't it? I mean, you come home for... for for holidays, everyone's in the home together, and, and it's, it's difficult. It's, it's not easy because Jesus turns things upside down. The, the parents are continuing to, to encourage their children to trust Christ, and these kids are just frustrated about their mom and dad. It's division. It talks about a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, as if that's not a hard enough relationship, right? Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, and maybe the mother-in-law told... Uh, maybe the mother-in-law is a, is a Christian, and she said to her son, I don't think that you should marry this girl because she's not a Christian. And the son went ahead, and, and, and the daughter-in-law obviously caught wind of that. <laughs> What's that going to be like for that relationship? Well, this, my mother-in-law didn't even want me to be her daughter-in-law. 
Well, it's not that. It's just this division about who Christ is. Or maybe it's the other way around, that, that the son marries this, this girl and, and, and she's walking with Christ in, in a strong way and, and the son gets caught up in that in a positive way and the parents are just like, you guys are you're never around anymore. You're always at, at church and you're always doing these, these church things. And why don't you just came, hang out? Let, let's like, why can't it be like it used to be? And there's sort of this division where the mother feels like this daughter-in-law has pulled her son away from the family because of devotion to Christ. This, this is what Jesus is talking about. This is real life. And many of you maybe know people or you've experienced something similar to this. It may not be that. It may just be friends that, that this is where it happens. It's as if if you can imagine a family. I mean, this is how drastic it is. It's imagine a family that they spend their whole life, the way that they live life is that they walk on their hands. That's, that's how they function in this world. Everything that they do, they walk on their hands. And then suddenly one of them one day says, you know, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to be. I think I'm supposed to walk on my feet. And, and they start walking on their feet. And, and the family says, oh, you think you're better than us? You know, I mean, this is how we've always done it. Who do you think you are that, you know, you're saying now that this is the way that we're supposed to do everything, that, that you're right? And, and the person that, no, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be prideful. I'm just saying that I've been, I've been turned right side up, and I, and I want you to be turned right side up, because life is better when we're walking the way that we're made to walk. And they continue to walk in their hands and say, you're crazy, you don't know what you're talking about. Because, you know, this, this is not some sort of cultish division, right? I mean, there are cults that if you join that cult, they say, don't talk to your family anymore, you need to separate, you need to come live in this commune with us. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Rather, he's actually saying, you're in the family situation, and it's causing division. You're not getting out of it. You're just, you're, you're there. And, and we're not called to abandon our, our families, but rather we're to be light in that. But the light in the darkness, sometimes it just causes division. And the division is not something that we're seeking out, right? It's not something that you're provoking. Uh, many have, have used division or persecution uh, as a disguise for simply being a jerk, right? <laughs> I mean, there's some people that are just obnoxious about their faith and it causes division within the family. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, they cloak a lack of tact in the garb of zeal. They sound just zealous for the gospel. And, and they just run over everyone in their path. And no one really wants to be around. We've all met people like that. Maybe you've been someone like that. I know I have at times, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. But he's saying that, that if, if we truly take seriously walking with Christ, there is inevitable division that will happen within families, within friends. It's going to happen. And so the question we need to ask ourselves, Jesus just sort of states this as fact, doesn't he? This is how it is. So if division is inevitable, we have to ask some, some hard questions. I think one might be, is the threat of division keeping you from following Jesus? Is that something, is the threat of division keeping you from following Jesus? Is that something that is holding you back from putting your faith in Christ? Because... Well, this is the way that my parents have thought, and it's going to cause issues in my family if I start walking with Christ. Or, um, my, my, you know, if I, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to have to act differently around my friends, and that's going to cause division. And I like hanging out with my friends, and I want to be with them. And I know sometimes we do things that wouldn't necessarily be what I would need to do as a Christian. It's going to, it's going to cause issues, and they're going to say, what are you doing? Why are you acting that way? And so I'm just not going to put my faith in Christ. Or maybe you are a Christian, and, and, and this threat of division, this threat of, 
of interpersonal relationships getting messed up is, is causing you to, to not be fully devoted to Christ. That you're, you're just kind of walking a little bit slowly in your faith. You're not really trying to, to go forward because you're just scared about what it might do to the relationships around you. That's a tough question I think Jesus would have us to ask. Another question I think he would have us ask is, do, do you love mother and father and family and friends more than Christ? It's sort of maybe hitting the same question from a different angle. Am I, am I guarding those relationships so closely because I'm scared if I, if I really follow hard after Christ that it's going to cause division there and I just I love my family so much. But that's the call to discipleship, isn't it? I mean, Jesus calls us to come and die. He tells the guy who wants to bury his father, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. That's what you're called to do. And, and so we've got to ask ourselves, what do we love more? Again, that's not a hatred for family, but, but Jesus himself is, is very clear on that, isn't he? he? Here, even in Luke, we've seen it a, a couple times where Jesus um, talks about his family in terms that maybe seem dismissive. Uh, Luke chapter 8, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Think that statement caused some division in Jesus' family? Probably. It causes division when people say, This is my church family. Well, what about us? Are we not a good enough family for you? These are my brothers and sisters in Christ that causes issues within family. I think another question maybe to ask, and this is from a different angle, um, is are we seeking peace in places where there is no peace? Are we seeking peace in places where there is no peace? So, Jesus says, do you think I came to give peace on earth? And we all say, yes. Jesus is the man of peace. He makes peace with everyone. But the Old Testament prophets in Ezekiel and Jeremiah are condemned by God for saying this, for saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Sometimes we're trying to make peace in a situation where actually division is inevitable. Again, we're not being jerks about this, but we're just saying, listen, if, if I really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, there's no other way to God except through Him. And if I've given my life fully to Him, if I believe that, that, that following Him means laying down my life and following after Him, then if you disagree with that, there's probably going to be some division between us. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking for it. I'm just saying that's just the reality of what it means to follow Christ. And so sometimes I think in a world that is very PC all the time, that we don't want to create division. But don't say peace, peace when there is no peace. It, again, don't be unnecessarily mean and rude. But recognize, listen, this is how I believe, this is what I believe. And if, and if you don't believe that, then there are going to be some areas where we won't necessarily agree. There's going to be division between us. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. I'll help you see. But I'm not going to say there's peace when there really isn't any peace. Because Jesus tells us very clearly, I came to bring division. If you will fully follow after me, there will be division in your life. Judgment is coming. It's the core of who Jesus is, this this picture of judgment. 
And he says, because of that, because of, of, of my future judgment and because of the judgment of sin on the cross, this baptism that I've gone through, division is inevitable. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen at your very closest relationships. Friends and family that you love, if you are fully following after me, there's going to be issues between you. It's just, it's going to happen. But what's so great about Jesus is that He doesn't call us to do something that He did not face. He doesn't call us to walk into something that He Himself doesn't understand. He's a great high priest that can sympathize with our weaknesses, that understands what we're going through. And Jesus Himself was mocked by His family. Jesus Himself was despised and rejected by the people that He came to save. He came to His own, and His own received Him not. He was rejected. In his death, he's deserted by his closest friends. And there is a sense even that God the Father in his death turns against his own son. This is that baptism that he's dreading because he knows what it means. It means the breaking in a sense of this relationship between him and his father. where His father is not for him in the same way, but rather is against him because he is the sin bearer and he is bearing the sins of the world. Jesus knows what it means. So if you face this, or you meet someone that faces this, let them know that Jesus isn't calling you into something that He Himself has not walked through. He was the most deserted man in the world. Everyone turned their back on Him. And yet He was exalted by God the Father. Jesus is not calling us into something He has not faced. And He's not calling us into something that that is totally rewardless, that, that, that there is no joy in. He proclaims a restoration of peace through the gospel. Mark 10, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and Jesus pinpoints the thing that he doesn't want to let go of, and it's his riches. And the man walks away sad because he wasn't willing to give up everything for Christ. For him, it was his, his riches, maybe even the relationships that he would have lost because of that. And the disciples don't understand. How can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible. Not with God, for with God all things are possible. And then Peter says to him, See, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. But we're in that. We have left everything to follow you. I'm sure the disciples, that there were relationships that were severed. There were issues amongst their family. Because what's he, what are they doing following that crazy guy? It's been like three years that they've been with him. Out in the desert all the time. They're never home. What, we don't even know what this guy's talking about. He seems a little out of his mind. He says he's the Messiah. What, what's going on with them? There's probably division within their families. And what does Jesus say to them? Jesus gives us and them this word of comfort. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, in the family of God, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, it's there, it's inevitable, and in the age to come, eternal life. Then many who are first will be last, and the last first. We're called to give it all up. We're called to lay even our closest relationships on the altar for Christ and know that there will be division there and we may even lose some of those relationships. But Jesus says, if you will, I will restore them. I will restore them in this life and 
in the life to come, in the age to come, for all eternity. You will have houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. He will give us everything that we give to Him. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on this word from God's word to us. And then I will pray for us. Father, we thank you for this hard word from Jesus. Thank you for not hiding it from us that the division is inevitable even in our core relationships. And it's hard, God. It stings more for others than than some. So I, I pray that you would be our comfort. And Lord, we just we say with the disciples, Lord, when you ask them, are you going to leave me too? Lord, we say, where, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. And so we believe, Lord, that, that you are our Father. You will be with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And you will restore everything that we lay on the altar and give to you. Lord, help us to follow you, unafraid of division. Lord, help us to have the right balance to, uh, to be caring and to be loving and to be winsome as we talk to those that maybe think differently than us. But Lord, help us not to, to shy away from the fact that there will be those that, that walk away because they don't understand what it means to truly walk after you and to follow you, to find our life in you. So be be with us as we go from this place and face these things on a daily basis. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.